that teacher Joanne delivered. Um, <clears throat> remember the first the first big section was the first 39 chapters, and that that was in book one. We're in book two now, you know, in terms of your study guide, and a lot of that was about what the first few chapters. Doom. <laughs> it was a lot about judgment, about how, how God's people had failed to obey him, how they were going through the motions and thought that ought to be good enough. And so it's a lot about, a lot about that. And, and yet God called Isaiah to be his, his spokesperson to, to tell them the truth and to not only to confront them with where they were at that time, but to give them this vision and this hope for where God wanted to take them. And so I hope that for us, we can, we can come before God with both sides of that, that we can say, God, um, I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, show me how you see me. And then that we can accept that and act on it. And, and because of the vision that God gives us, sorry, about where he wants to take us and what he has in store for us. So, so that's the first um, uh, like 39 chapters. And then the very first word in chapter 40 was comfort, comfort, comfort my people. And so now we're in this big section, 40 to 55, where God's calling his people to be his servant, not just go through the motions, not have idols and think they can worship God, um, and he he's just expands on and reminds them and gives them examples of his grace, how he's outpoured, just this outpouring of grace he's given to them, and also that he's made a way for them to come to him because there's this separation, just as there is with us, that our sin is a, is a barrier, is a separation between me and God. And so we've just looked at, last week we covered sort of the highlight, uh, chapter 53, about the, uh, well, the end of 52 and into 53, the suffering of, of Jesus on the cross here in the Old Testament. I mean, it didn't say Jesus will suffer on the cross, but we know by the things that it says that it's talking about him. And so, um, so now today, we've just, we've just done 53, so we're going to do 54 and 55. And if you look at that outline on 2B3, it says the invitation, salvation has been achieved. And now God's pleading, he's offering, he's, he's saying, oh, come, you know, I've accomplished this. I've made it available for you. So that's 54 and 55. Then um, if we get to 56 today, if not, it'll be next week. The big, the next big section, number three, is God begins to talk about how we can know if we're truly servants of God. Because remember, water down. Remember in the, in the first section, he said, you guys just aren't cutting it. And he gave them examples. Oh, fizzy. <laughs> um, and you guys just aren't cutting it. And he, and he talked with them about different ways that, that they were not um, walking with God. They were not following his his commandments, they were not in line with his purposes, they wanted to do their own thing, or they wanted to have God and, we want to worship God and, we want to do um, what God says we should do 
and, and he's like, no, there's no and. It's, I want you to wholeheartedly follow me. So the big chapter, uh, the 56 to 66 section, he's going to talk about, okay, here's what true servanthood looks like. First, he's going to say, now I know as humans, you are not able to do this on your own. And that's like 56, 57, 58, 59. Then he says, um, uh, but you know, I'm part of the picture. I'm going to do a work in you. And that's 60, 61, 62. And then those last four chapters are how God enables his people. And then there's a section about the new heavens and the new earth. You, you'll think you're reading Revelation. So um, that's what we have before us. So let's look at chapter 54. <clears throat> Did you make a title or a theme or a, what was the point of chapter 54? A pledge of God's faithfulness. I like the word pledge because that sounds like a covenant or a marriage or something. And he talks about a covenant. What else? What house did Zion to be restored? Yes. Don't be afraid. God's promises for the future of Israel. Don't be afraid. God's promises for the future of Israel. So um, let's see. I just I put the Redeemer's everlasting covenant with his people. So he starts out um, saying, shout for joy, shout for joy. And and then he then he uses this picture, this um, kind of this little comparison. And he's and he's talking about um, barren one. You've not had a any children you have not travailed meaning you've not gone through labor to give birth um, you're desolate um, but why should this person um, who's who's bereft of children has no children um, desolate why should that person shout for joy according to this Because God's at work and he's going to provide children. Now we have to remember that in this culture back then, um, if a woman couldn't have children, um, that was more than a personal heartache like, like it could be you know, for us. It was a, kind of a, a shameful thing. It was, it was um, people might wonder, oh, wonder what sin she has you know it just was a real blight a real um it, you know so much depended on passing on things to your children your grandchildren your great-grandchildren and all that well if they don't have children then there's probably not going to be grandchildren and, and all that so it was really a bigger deal in their culture not that it isn't a personal heartache and struggle in our culture so he's saying that they should shout for joy, which seems kind of crazy. But then he goes on to say, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. Why? For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. And he talks about how they need to prepare. Enlarge your tent, you know, strengthen, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs. In other words, get ready, look forward to, prepare for what God's going to do. And 
And then he says, you will spread abroad to the right and the left and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. So he's talking about that they should prepare for growth. And, and so that, um, when, does that when is that going to happen? At the end of the exile, because the de remember back in, was that chapter 49 when he talked about um, compared Israel to, to a, a wife who was um, alone, like a, like a widow or something, and, and he said, um, you know, you don't have children and this and that. But now he's saying, that's temporary. I'm going to change things because the picture was, he, I think he was saying, oh, Jerusalem, you are, you're like a, 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 a woman who's alone now. <clears throat> but, but, he was, but now he's saying, but I'm going to bring kids back. And remember how they said, oh, they're going to say we need more room and all that. It was a similar passage in chapter 49. I think it was, I have verse 10 and verse 21 here jotted in the margin. So, so he's carrying on with that theme. And he's saying that they're going to come back and, and, and re, um, will possess the nations and resettle the desolate cities. So they're going to come back. They're going to settle back in their land. And, and so this is good news. And then um, he starts in in verse 4 through 8. He talks about that, they, that, 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 that his people or the nation, or maybe he's referring to Zion, you know, the city of Jerusalem as the, as the capital, as the sort of representing the whole, the whole country. And he says, fear not, for you will not be put to shame and you will not, do not feel humiliated because you will not be disgraced. Those are things that their culture, how their culture viewed barren women. And, and so he says, no, no, that's not the end of the story. You may feel like that now, but that's not the end of the story because I'm going to get involved. He said, you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. And then he goes on and says, your husband is your maker. In other words, I'm, remember when he said, show me your certificate of divorce. He's saying, I never divorced you. I... I withdrew my presence, in a sense, for a while. I, I sent you into a tough situation for discipline, but I didn't, I didn't write you off. I didn't say I'm done with you. Your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a wife of one's youth, when she is rejected, says your God. Now, how long did this period of, of being out of God's um, house, <laughs> out of his presence, you know, in, in the picture of like a, a marriage, how long did this last, according to verse 7 and 8? According to verse 7 and 8. Yes, it was 70 years. He says, just a moment, in the view of eternity, it, like to us, like 70 years is a moment, but God's talking from his view. And remember, he called Abraham, you know, hundreds of years even before this, even before Abraham's time. 
And so he's saying, no, no, that was, that was just a short period of time when I had a purpose I wanted to accomplish. So he says, for a brief moment, I forsook you, but with great compassion, I will gather you in an outburst of anger. And it doesn't mean like God has a bad temper. Um, the word outburst means kind of like overflowing. Like at some point, God said, I got to do something. I got to do something. Um, I hid my face from you for a moment. It wasn't anything permanent. And then he said, but, so the contrast between for a moment, but with an everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So, so he's, he's saying, yes, I did, I did kind of um, put you aside for a bit out of your normal routine, sent them into exile, but that was a sh just a moment, even though they're thinking, yeah, well, that was quite a moment, 70 years, you know, a um, couple of generations, three generations maybe. People, people could be, um, you know, 65 and have never been in, in the promised land. Like they, all they know is living in Babylon. So God's saying, you know, this is not, this is not the end of the story. I will have compassion. And when in verse eight there, that first line, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion. When it says loving kindness, <clears throat> that's the word for, it's, it's the Hebrew word, it's number 2617, and it's kind of pronounced like kesed or hased. Um, and it means, it, it's like God's faithful, enduring covenant love. It's like that commitment that causes him to, to act in a certain way. So he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I put you aside for a short time, but that was only a little blip. Now we're going to get back, you know, with, we're going to continue on with the plans. <clears throat> so in verse, um, in verse 9 and 10, he makes some promises. And he talks, he compares it kind of like to Noah. So what, what, what does he promise in 9 and 10? Okay, so he's not going to do another flood. He says, uh, but this is like the days of Noah to me. I, I, it's kind of like God saying, this reminds me of what I had to do back when Noah was here. <laughs> Um, the, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So he's not going to do that. He's not going to wipe everybody out except for this little minority. Um, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness, and there's that same word, that my covenant, enduring covenant love and commitment to you, um, my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And compassion means mercy and love, kind of, it's, um, so he's saying, the fact that I sent you into exile should almost be proof that I'm still dealing in your life, not uh, a cause for you to think I'm done with you because because now we're gonna we're gonna continue on um, you know the 
the exile had had some positive results for the people. They they never really got into idolatry again uh, to the same degree and the same kind. Um, so his covenant of peace shall not be shaken, um, and he has compassion on you. So then, th now he's talking about afflicted, storm-tossed, not comforted. So, so in 11 to 17, really the rest of the chapter, um, he has a bunch of promises. And, and what kinds of things did he promise them? What's he going to do? I think you had a question at the very top of page 34. About, about his promises in this section. Top of page 34. Yeah. Okay. Yes, not be angry. The land. Okay, his covenant of peace will remain with his people. That's um, verse 10. And it will outlast the hills and the mountains. In other words, it's going to be enduring. It's going to be um, ongoing. And, and um, <clears throat> let's see, uh, anything else that you see? Safety and security. Mm-hmm talks about, um, you've probably heard verse 17, no weapon, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. So he's, remember the whole theme of serving God, that if, if they are open to God, if they're submissive to God, if they let God lead them, then they truly are servants of God, and their vindication is from me. Um, there was one. Oh, I like verse 16. Well, verse 15, he says, If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Because he's told them over and over, Listen, I have used these other nations to discipline you. And they're like, What? You use those? <sighs> Those people are disgusting, and why would you use them in your people's life? And he's like, well, because you wouldn't listen to other things. So, so now he's saying, I'm not going to be doing that on that scale. If anyone fiercely assails you, it's not from me. In the last paragraph of the verse 8 through uh, 17, mm -hmm. there are 16 I will. Oh, 16 I wills from verse 8 to verse 17, 16, 17. I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. Sometimes I underline that, but I guess I did not here. Yeah. I will, I will have compassion on you. I will make your battlements. What about all that stuff about, about the fancy gems and stuff? Verse 11 and... 12. What's all that stuff about? I will set your stones in antimony and your foundations in sapphires, battlements of rubies, gates of crystal, wall of precious stones. What's all that stuff about? Okay. Um, 
Lucci's saying it looks like um, that he's gonna he's he's gonna lavish on them some things of great value and put them in a setting that's precious. Uh, um, there's a little parallel between uh, in Revelation where it talks about the the New Jerusalem and all those you know different stones and stuff, but. I tried to see if they lined up, and they really don't. I mean, they're different stones. So, but the idea is that, I mean, they're sort of poor and dependent on their captors, but he says, no, no, when I bring you back, and notice he talks about their foundations, their battlements, um, their gates, their walls. So he's talking about when they're back in the land, how he's going to... Um, lavish on them uh, gifts he's going to he views them as precious if they're going to be um, you know in those kinds of settings so I think I don't think it's literal at least not when they get back in the land it could be referring to the the new Jerusalem um, let's see Oh, and all your sons will be taught by the Lord, verse 13, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. So he's talking about this protection, this um, how he's going to be um, like their greatest ally, their greatest defender, and all that. So the point of chapter 54 is that though he hid his face from them, for a bit, that was only a moment from God's perspective, only a short amount of time in the big eternity, especially eternity future. So, so um, you know, a lot of people think that the church has replaced Israel in God's eyes. The church, um, that Israel uh, was disobedient, and so God said, I'm done with you, and now... Um, through Jesus, the servant, you know, chapter 53, his atonement, that, that anybody who comes to me, and that could be Jews or Gentiles, that's the church, the universal church, and that that's where God's going to fulfill all these promises. Now, what do you think this chapter has to say about that? He hasn't given up on Israel. He hasn't given up what he's going to do. He has not given up on Israel, and that doesn't mean that every single Jew is going to follow him. He has a remnant. Remember, all along he's talked about the remnant of my people, the, you know, the the portion. Uh, those even here he says those who are servants of the Lord, right? So, so um, God's purposes for Israel will be. Um, originally, it was. Uh, Abraham, you and your descendants will be um, like a model for the rest of the world of how people will be blessed and, and they will live a rich life if they live in harmony with me. If they let me call the shots, if they let me direct their ways, I will just bless their socks off. And so that was, that was a way of God revealing himself to the whole world. And, and that's why he said that they, the Jewish people, would be a light to the nations. But they kind of messed up like we do. And they were human and they rebelled and they, they failed to fulfill what God wanted them to do. And so um, that doesn't mean that he gave up on them. Because if you think about um, how, how utterly human <laughs> the people were, I mean, Abraham blew it. 
and then his son um, Isaac blew it, and then Isaac's son Jacob and Esau, they weren't like, you know, great either. They made mistakes. There were times when they did their own thing. And so you just see how God is bigger that he can take these knuckleheads and, and still achieve his purposes, which should give us great encouragement <laughs> that God can use us even though we're, we're certainly not perfectly obedient and we, and we fail and we want to do our own thing uh, more often than we'd like to acknowledge or probably even realize. And, and yet, <clears throat> in the end, God is going to do all these cool things. Well, he's going to bring them back from exile, you know, not in Isaiah's time, but shortly after Isaiah's time, because Isaiah's dead by the time that that happens. Um, but in the in the future, which hasn't happened for us yet, um, God is still going to do some spectacular things with the Jews that accept him, that believe in him, that understand that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're going to be a light to the world. They're going to be um, an exhibit of what God does with people who will follow him. So his ultimate purpose from clear back in Abraham will be fulfilled. But in between, there was some gaps. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that all the time there, there has not been um, a small percentage of Jewish people that have recognized <clears throat> Jesus as their Messiah that have obeyed God, that truly seek him. So, so there's this remnant all along. Um, let's see, there was some other great point I was going to make. I can't think what it was right offhand. That covenant that God made with Abraham mm -hmm. was an unconditional covenant. And it's a good thing, right? <laughs> Yes. And so um, there are other covenants that are conditional. We know those. We studied them. We read about mm -hmm. them. Yes. But this one was with Abraham. Was not. Unconditional. Fifteen. I don't remember. Was it fifteen? Twelve and fifteen. Twelve, 12 and fifteen in there. Mm-hmm. So surely, in case you couldn't hear, I mean, you did speak up nicely, but for the sake of the microphone, um, Shirley's saying that that covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And, and most of the time when God's, it's like the spirit went through the lines of the sacrificed animals, Abraham was asleep. He wasn't saying, I'll do this, if, and God, okay, I'll do this, and I'll do this. And we just talked about the failures of each generation. It wasn't like they were completely obedient. So God said, here's my plan, and here's how you fit into it. And in spite of their failures, God is big enough and sovereign enough that he still achieved his purpose. Now, when they got, <clears throat> you know, after Abraham and a few generations, they went down to Egypt. And then when God brought them out of Egypt, that was a huge thing, um, the Exodus. And then when they got back um, up into the land or near the land, God um, gave them the law and that's like the operating you know that's the household rules if you if you're you're my people and here's how things work in my kingdom and and that was that was conditional in other words if you obey remember Deuteronomy 27 28 
blessings of obedience, curses of disobedience. And, and he said then, I will kick you out of the land. If you, if you do not obey and do not let me direct your ways and, and you're, not, you're too proud to submit to me and you mistreat each other and all those things, then I, I will take you out of the land. That means that, that how God treated them depended on, it was conditional. It depended on whether they were obedient or not. So there's different covenants that God made that some are, some are unconditional. In other words, God said, here's what I'm doing. And you guys probably do your best to try to mess it up, but I'm big enough and it's important enough that I'm going to accomplish it. And then others, it, he said, if you do this, this is going to be the result. But if you do that, that's not going to be so great. So, so really it is um, a chapter that's very important about the fact that God is still working with Israel. And, and the, you know, the, the time of, of really difficult, like tribulation and the end times that you hear about, like the seven year period and all that. Uh, some places in the Old Testament, that's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And, and it seems like that one of God's big purposes in allowing that is to get the attention of the Jews so that they can again be the center of the world, the light to the nations and all that. Now, not that some, um, you know, he's going to work with primarily with the Jews during that time, but not that, that a Gentile who's seeking God is going to be like, sorry, you know, no, no, they'll be welcomed as well. So, okay, let's go on to 55. <laughs> I thought 55 was um, a pretty interesting chapter. And so... Um, um, oh, what, what, what did you put as your title? What was, what's the main point of chapter 55? Come and seek the Lord. Come and seek the Lord. Call to accept God's salvation. Good. What else? Invitation to all for salvation and, and promise of a new covenant. Okay, so chapter 54, he's talking about how he worked with his chosen people, the Jews. And that, yes, they, for a moment, he, it's kind of like he turned his face away from them. But, but that time is coming to an end soon when, when this prophecy was given and God still has wonderful plans for his people. Now in chapter 55, it says, ho, everyone. Yeah, ho means it's, sometimes it's, it's um, sometimes it's translated woe or alas, but it can also mean um, kind of like behold a little bit, like listen up or something like that. Aha. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and it's, and it's oi. So I think it's like when they say oi vey. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, oh boy. Anyway, he's saying like, okay, listen up. Everyone, everyone, not just the Jews, everyone who thirsts. Now, how, what percentage of the human race thirsts? pretty high, right? 
And the whole point is that, that people have needs and God has the answer to those needs. He's saying, if you're thirsty, come to the waters, like come to my waters. Um, if you don't have money, you can come and get something to eat. You can buy, you can get it, you can procure it. I'll provide it. You don't have to provide it for yourself. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And so, so he's kind of establishing the fact that everybody has unmet needs and that he's where we go to get those needs met. And when he says everyone, you think, well, is that who, who's everyone? But when you get down into um, verse 4 and 5 where he talks about the peoples, the peoples, a nation that you don't know, a nation you don't know. Um, on the back, let's see. I don't know if he says that specifically again, but, but um, in chapter 56, he says, foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. So, so these, these chapters are kind of flowing together. So it seems like in 55, he's saying, and what's more, not only am I going to be faithful to my, to my Jewish people that I've chosen and that I have a special purpose for, but I'm going to, it's going to be available to anybody because this is after chapter 53 when when the servant that we know as Jesus went to the cross and that's how atonement or he was the ultimate sacrifice that covered the sins of everyone, not just the Jews. Yes, Luchi. Is the Holy Spirit involved in this first verse somehow? Like it says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So is that an offer of the Holy Spirit that the people Mm. Um, I think um, Lucci's saying it is the Holy Spirit, is, is there a hint about the Holy Spirit in that first verse? I think that it's mostly saying that you have needs that, and I can meet them and, you, and there's nothing you can do to make it happen yourself. But we all know that when we come to Christ, part of that is that he comes to dwell within us in his spirit. So I don't know that it's blatant but I think it's implied, yes. Okay. But this is not an advertisement for socialism. It oh, no. Is, no. Where do you depend on God? Yes. Not, not the, the government. government. Yes, exactly. He's saying, he's saying, I have what you need, and you can't get it on your own. Because then he says, well, even what you do have, why do you spend what money you have? You spend it on things that aren't going to really nourish you or satisfy you. And your wages, you spend on what doesn't satisfy. So he's say, saying, listen to me, eat what's good, delight yourself in abundance. And, and then kind of how that happens. Listen. I made a list in this chapter. He says, come four times. He says, return. He says, seek. He says, call upon the Lord. He says, listen carefully. He, he says, incline your ear and, and um, consume what's good. So there's all these invitations to come to, to receive what God has provided because um, chapter 53, well, God said, I want you to be my servants, but yet they're human, but God has provided a way that they can approach the holy God and that is chapter 53. Now we're 54, you know, and 55, he's, he's elaborating on that. So he's saying, come to me. That's the first five verses. 
And, um, and then he talks about in verse three, I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. So that's a little bit um, not totally clear what it's saying. Um, then he says, behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Um, and then verse five talks about a nation you don't know and how you're going to um, interact with them because um, he has glorified you. So what do you think it means when it says, according to the faith, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you, everyone. So not just the Jews. There's going to be, there's a new covenant, right? Now that Jesus has done his work. I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Now, why is he mentioning David? David was a man after God's own heart. Certainly, he had issues. He was not perfect, but but he was he was. Um, what the deal is is that God made a covenant with David, mm -hmm. a king would sit on his throne forever, forever, and he fulfilled that. Mm -hmm. And and that was an unconditional promise because David certainly blew it. Solomon certainly blew it. You know, as you go down the line. And yet, um, this servant, Jesus, is the fulfillment of that. And there's, um, I don't know if I wrote that down. He's called the greater David. A couple of places I was looking at that somewhere. Um, but he's saying, it's kind of like, I think, notice that it says that according to is in italics. That means that the people that did this translation from the Hebrew they thought that they needed to add that in order to make it read smoothly in English. So it could be saying, I will make an everlasting covenant with you of the same sort, uh, you know, that faithful and, and that word mercies, that's the same word as loving kindness. The loving kindness word that we had back in the last chapter, and it talks about God's um, faithful um, ongoing, uh, loving kindness, uh, covenant, binding, all that kind of stuff. So he could be saying, in the same way that I made this promise to David, I'm going to make a covenant with you. But that has not been fulfilled yet. No, it has not. Yes, that has not been fulfilled yet. And, and um, some people think when he says to David that here... He's either referring to Jesus as the fulfillment of, da of the covenant to David, uh, the promises to David, or uh, as representing, or David as representing that whole covenant. That it's going to ultimately end up with this king who will reign and rule forever. Well, that's another good question. <laughs> She's asking, like, who's him in verse 4? So I, at first I thought, okay, I wrote, who is him? Um, is it David? Is it Jesus? Uh, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, peoples plural, a leader and a commander for the peoples, 
So it kind of sounds like David, but David mostly was a leader and a commander for Jewish people, you know, his, his subjects. So I, I don't know that I'm totally um, certain about that. There's one verse in Acts that I wanted to... Acts refers to the Messiah. You're, you have a footnote. Yeah, I kind of think, I kind of think it does. Um, okay, so her footnote says that that when Christ rose from the dead. Remember in chapter 53, it said something about he will see life or he will see something. It, it hinted that he would come back to life. That that um, identified him as that king who's going to rule and reign forever, although it's not going to be reality until um, the millennium and afterwards. Um, let's see. Um, I have, I have Acts 13, 34. It says, As for the fact that God raised him up from the dead no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And that's a quote of this third verse. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And what was um, yours? Uh, five what? He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So that's Acts 5, 31 and 32. And that was, um, uh, I think that was Peter, the sermon. I think that was... Yeah, when they were, when Peter, when they were called before the council, like, hey, what are you guys doing? You're telling these weird stories and stirring things up. So, so he's, so he's talking about in verse one, anyone who thirsts, and then he's saying, um, you know, come to me and listen, and I will give you life, verse three, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Um, I think in line with the same kind of covenant I made with David or even um, uh, through the work of the greater David. <coughs> okay, so in verse 6, what... Um, oh, you, had, you looked up covenants. We've got to look at that. Um, they had you look of all the places that you had marked covenant in uh, this section so far, chapter 40 up to 55. What did you, um, that's on, on page 35 in your lesson. Um, what did you conclude from just reviewing those four spots? The first two talk about, I will make you a covenant for the people. The first one says, and a light to the Gentiles. And the second one says, to restore the land. So I think those were referring to Jesus, right? Yeah. 
And then 54.10, God's unfailing love and covenant of peace will not be shaken or removed. We just talked about that, like the mountains might disappear, but it will not. And so here then in 55.3, he's saying, uh, listen, come, get life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love as promised to David. <coughs> All right, so let's... Um, Precept has a very interesting and rich study that just goes through the, all the covenants in the Bible. And, and we've kind of thought a little bit about doing that study, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. From Genesis on, five minutes? Oh, man, we can do it. We can do it. This is a fairly short chapter. Okay, um, so starting in verse 6, what does he tell them to do? Seek the Lord, Seek the Lord while he may be found. He may be found. Okay, so there's, there's going to come a time when it'll be too late. Um, what else are they supposed to do? Call upon him. Anything else? Verse 7. Yeah, if if you're not if you're not um, in very close alignment with God's ways, forsake your own ways um, and your thoughts, and and get back with God, and He will have compassion. Remember, God's saying, first, first, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and it's saying, yes, He'll have compassion, and He will abundantly pardon. So then, He explains that His thoughts are not our thoughts. Now you probably heard that phrase before and your ways are not my ways um, I'm God and you're not um, I do things differently than you think that I should and maybe maybe some of those some of the people thought well he shouldn't save that person I don't know I mean that's kind of like he's saying listen I I know that the way I do things you're not always going to understand then he talks about I like this 10 and 11 just like rain and snow come down from heaven, meaning God gives them, um, and they do what they're supposed to do. They water the earth, they make it, you know, plants grow and, and reap a crop in the same way, because it says, for as, and then it talks about the rain and the snow, then the beginning of verse 11, so, so it's comparing these two things that there's a similarity. My word which goes forth from me, will not return without doing what it's supposed to do. Without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding. I put LFL. <laughs> and then just a fun promise that's probably about the millennial kingdom maybe. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills will break forth with shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So it's about all nature um, either literally or figuratively, nature, um, you know, in Romans it says um, even the physical world uh, groans and waits for God's redemption because there, were, there are um, results of sin in the physical nature as well, not just in our hearts. Um, instead of the thorn bush, cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle. Now, thorns and weeds, where did they come from? Does that ring a bell? Here. 
but how did they originate? At, after the fall. So he's talking about that he's going to, not only is he going to bring them back from exile, but he's going to do a much bigger reversal of some bad things, like it's the newer heaven and new earth. So uh, cypress will come up instead of thorns, and instead of nettles, which are a weed, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which shall not be cut off. And cut off is a word that's kind of related to the word um, covenant. So it's a little play on words because they, they actually cut a covenant. That's how they, instead of saying make a covenant or do a covenant. Okay. So this um, video might go up through 36 or 56, but that's okay. That'll get us ready for discussion next week.